The following is an encore episode of Catholic Review Radio. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matasek. Blessed Jerzy Popiewuszko was one of the most remarkable and heroic figures of the 20th century. A humble priest who seemed quite ordinary at first glance, Father Jerzy inspired his fellow Poles to stand up for truth and resist communist oppression in Cold War era Poland. A prophet of nonviolence, Father Jerzy was ultimately kidnapped, beaten, and murdered by the Polish secret police, yet his voice wasn't silenced. Joining us to talk about Father Yeje and his legacy is Judith Kelly, author of Just Call Me Yeje. Kelly is a longtime social justice activist in the Baltimore, Washington area, who was named Peacemaker of the Year in 2014 by the D.C. Baltimore region of Pax Christi. Of Polish heritage, Kelly is a former Peace Corps volunteer in Peru and Paraguay. She lives in the Diocese of Arlington, Virginia. Judith, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. It's so great to talk with you. Thank you, George. Before we dive into who Blessed Yeji was, I think it's important for our audience to recall the circumstances in which he was born. Could you describe the kinds of trials Poles were facing under the communist government of that time, especially as it relates to the suppression of the Catholic Church? Yeji was born in 1947, so post-World War II, and Poland became became part of the um, Russian Empire at that time. I mean, all the countries behind the Iron Curtain, of course. Um, Atheism, the church was repressed, given given a very hard time during that whole period, and and priests, priests could be killed just for being priests. Uh, Cardinal Vashinsky, you've probably heard of, was was really the person that kept the church going during that period. He's a he's a, a hero, a prophet, and he's recently been beatified. Um, as far as the priests, they they the secret police, we were monitoring them all the time. They opened files on them when they were in seminary. So it was um, the the whole country was under this kind of control, so to speak, and the church was the one element that resisted. Knowing what he was likely to face in that kind of atmosphere, what inspired Blessed Yeji to become a priest? Well, he grew up in the countryside in northeastern Poland. His family was uh, had a farm, so um, the local priests were the ones that he would have seen had uh, a status and, and uh were admired. He became an altar server early on, so daily mass before school. He had to walk there. Um, he he loved 
thanks to his grandmother, who kind of opened his eyes to Maximilian Kolbe. He loved Nepokolanov, the the place that uh, Maximilian Kolbe created. And um, I think he wanted to be a priest there, and then his mom said, "Mm, maybe you should wait. And eventually he he went to seminary in Warsaw, and and the legendary Cardinal Vashinsky was the one who was in charge of the seminary then. He actually loved people, and he really wanted to be an activist priest to help people. So I think that was, he, he just loved the vocation of the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And you outline a lot of the difficulties he faced as a seminarian, especially after he was called to military service with other seminarians. Could you share some of that with us? Yeah, that was kind of a reprisal by the regime to the outspokenness of Cardinal Vashinsky, and they usually priests, well, for a long time priests did not have to do obligatory um, military service like all the men in Poland did, but they created these clerical units of just seminarians hoping to turn them into collaborators or, or just that they would lead the priesthood. So, and when Yerja resisted some of the activities that uh, he was subjected to, they they really cracked down on him. Um, very, very difficult, those two years, in a very, um, you know, standing at attention for a long periods of time with his military kit on his shoulders, uh, put into isolation, just punished severely. So that really affected his health. What overall impact did his experience in the military have on him, especially his health? Um, it, he already had probably some conditions, but his, his thyroid was affected, I believe, just his whole energy level. He did write to his um, seminary advisor saying that um, suffering for Christ was okay, how, how lightly one suffers when you know that you suffer for Christ. So I, I think he took on this personalism, you know, that it was his responsibility to resist and, and, and not give up. I, I, he was just stubborn, like a lot of Poles, and uh, he wanted to, um, to go forward with, with his prayers and, and uh, wearing a rosary ring. I mean, there were all kinds of incidents that he was forced to uh, endure, but, but he did. One of the interesting side notes you mention in your book is that Yerji's given name was actually Alphonse uh, for St. Alphonsus, but he changed it at the request of his religious superiors. Could you tell us about that? Yes, he was already almost finished with seminary. He, his nickname for Alphonse was Alec, but um, Alphonse, his proper name, there was some negative connotation there that it was in Warsaw at least it was a nickname for pimp so good good move on the superior's part to say find another name and he chose Yerja because of the the link it has to valor and of course that's the Polish rendering of George St. George well you should know yes (laughs) 
once he was ordained, how does he begin his ministry? What are some of his early, early assignments as a priest? He was um, given the normal three-year assignments in, uh, the first one was a small town outside of Warsaw. He made lots and lots of friends there. He was did well, but he was always kind of sickly. He got transferred at the end of that period to another small town, Anin, outside of Warsaw, also with quite a few days of sickness. And then another parish inside uh, Warsaw proper in Jolibourg. Um, but then he, he fainted on the altar and really started to have more... Um, need for medical care and they they finally figured out what he had and it 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 meant that eventually he was put in another parish in Warsaw that uh where retirees would usually go it, it he he couldn't really because of his energy level couldn't have a full-time parish it was just impossible given his health situation how is he different from other priests of that era? In particular, why does he only ask to be called by his first name and, and not receive special titles? Yeah, and I love this story. Just call me Erge, he said. Um, I, that title of Erge, the, the priest Erge, the, the, the divider between regular people and priests, I think he didn't like that. He wasn't comfortable with it. He wanted... As he said, he and a friend at his ordination, he said, we're going to be activist priests. We're not going to be locked inside the rectory. We're going to go out and help as many people as we can. And in order to do that, he had to feel close to them and let them feel close to him. So he was direct. He was friendly. He was inclusive. He did not feel or act superior. And people responded. When he, when he died, there were posters up around Warsaw saying he was one of us and I that's just my kind of priest I love that there was a seismic event in Poland in 1979 when St. John Paul II visited his homeland for the first time as Pope and Jerzy was actually involved in that visit organizing first aid stations in Warsaw what were his responsibilities at that time and what impact did the preaching of St. John Paul II have on him Electric. <laughs> um, he was uh, one of the assignments he had as a priest once he was kind of not in a full-time capacity was to work with nurses and doctors. He did retreats for them and other uh, activities at St. Anne's University Parish. And because he knew all of them, then it was a, a great thing for him to be able to organize uh, medical care, emergency care during the Pope's visit. And, you know, millions of people showed up, and that was a big, big assignment, and he did it really, really well. And then to hear John Paul say, be not afraid. You, you, you people need to think about freedom, and, uh, and solidarity was born soon after that. And I think Yerja took it to heart. It was an, another... Uh, call to personalism that he wanted to do what he could to uh, bring about the dream that John Paul had for Poland. Our guest today is Judith Kelly, author of Just Call Me Yeje, 
and we're going to take a little break and when we come back we'll continue our conversation about the inspiring life and the legacy of Blessed Jerzy Popiewuszko. I'm George Matisek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. The Maryland General Assembly has again taken up bills that would legalize physician-assisted suicide, with committee hearings scheduled for early February. Maryland's Catholic bishops released a statement in English and Spanish January 30th expressing disappointment that the legislature is again debating the issue. Quote, the central tenet guiding our opposition to this deadly proposal is that all human life is created in the image and likeness of God and therefore sacred, unquote, the statement said. The letter was released by the Maryland Catholic Conference, which represents the Catholic bishops in Annapolis. It was signed by Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lorry, Cardinal Wilton D. Gregory of the Archdiocese of Washington, and Bishop William Koenig of the Diocese of Wilmington, Delaware, whose diocese encompass parts of Maryland. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. The one and only known photograph ever taken of Venerable Mother Mary Lang held a place of prominence during a special January 30th Mass celebrated by Archbishop Lurie at St. Francis Academy in East Baltimore. Resting at the foot of an altar set up inside the school's gymnasium, the more than 140-year-old black-and-white image seemed to stare stoically at a congregation of more than 300 that had gathered to celebrate Mother Lang's recent advancement along the path to canonization. Pope Francis declared the foundress of St. Francis Academy venerable June 22, 2023, recognizing Mother Lang's heroic virtue and making her only the fourth black person whose ministry was based in the United States to be declared venerable. St. Francis Academy was founded in 1828 as the first Catholic school in the country to educate black students. Mother Lang co-founded the Oblate Sisters of Providence one year later as the world's first sustained women's religious congregation for blacks. She twice served as the Order's Superior General. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matisek. Hi, this is Bob Scanlon of St. Ignatius of Loyola Parish in Maryland. I'm delighted to help Guadalupe Radio Network, WMET 1160 AM, promote its March 6, 2024 Top Golf fundraiser. Please join me to support this important mission. It'll be a great family night. Ask your priests to join you. Enjoy food and libations, courtesy of our sponsors. There's a $25,000 hole-in-one prize and many more prizes. Visit grnonline.com today. Click the events tab. See you there. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Today we're talking about the inspiring life of Blessed Jerzy Popiewuszko, a Polish priest who stood up to the communist government during the Cold War. 
Our guest is Judith Kelly, author of Just Call Me Yeje. Judith, how did Blessed Yeje get involved in the solidarity movement in Poland? You know, he was uh, asked to preach a mass inside the factory in Warsaw. Uh, those still, um, yeah, they were steel workers. Were in solidarity with the factory workers in Gdańsk, and uh, as soon as he did that, and and they met him and he met them it was just this love story he just wanted to help them as much as possible and then when the uh, martial law crackdown came he was the one that really reached out to them and and went to trials for those who were interred and um, helped their families and so forth so it, it was key to him uh, becoming better known. One of the really inspiring stories you recount in your book uh, happened around Christmas time, just after the Polish communists declared martial law in Poland. Yes. And uh, on, on Christmas Eve in Poland, there's this long-standing tradition of sharing unconsecrated bread at, at Christmas time, and it's a symbol of love and forgiveness. And, and I just love what Blessed Yeje did at this time. Could could you recount that story? Yes, he was, he was, uh, you know, it's a Christmas Eve tradition where you take, uh, pieces of, uh, blessed communion bread and offer it to your family or your friends. He went out into the streets where the soldiers were during martial law and offered them Oplatic as a, as a gesture of love and reconciliation. And some of them took it, some of them wouldn't. But they remembered him. I think that's just such an inspiring story, and it, I do too. It, it really sheds light into the kind of person and priest that he was. But eventually, he starts organizing and preaching these massive monthly masses for the fatherland, I think they called it. And this was at his parish church at the time of St. Stanislaus in Warsaw. And uh, these attracted 10,000, 20,000 people at a time. Could you tell us what those masses were like and the impact that they had on the country? They were remarkable. Uh, monthly, 7 p.m. Sunday, last Sunday of the month. And people came, and it took great courage, I think, for them to come because sometimes they were surrounded by Zomo and other um, security forces, and they were prevented from getting there, and they, they, they went early. It was He was the light in the darkness during that time. He instilled hope in the people who came. He gave beautiful homilies. He invited actors and actresses and poets to be part of it, to kind of reflect on the history of Poland and how Poland had resisted through many, many centuries. They were brilliant. They were wonderful opportunities for everyone to learn what was going on and to uh, do their own resistance nonviolently. I thought that was... I, I sometimes I wonder what would it be like if we had a priest who stood in front of fifteen, twenty thousand people and spoke, and everybody wanted to be there and 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 wanted to hear the truth and and uh, brought about the change that we all want. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously the the Polish government was quite worried about 
these massive gatherings and the impact that Blessed Yerji was having on the population, uh, what steps did they start taking against this uh, priest who, who they saw as a threat? They did all they could to scare him. They threw some thugs through a brick with on it through his window of his room. Um, and then the solidarity folks came and tried to help protect him and and uh and the police were wanting to interrogate him all the time and there was surveillance there were all kinds of harassments and threats telephone calls his phone was bugged i mean the poor man it was a very stressful difficult time and it would have been easier to stop but no, he wouldn't do it. He just felt like he had this responsibility. Just like when he was in in, in the military um, training, you know, they were trying to break him, and he wouldn't be broken. And, and he didn't seem afraid to die, even though he anticipated his own death. And I love this one quote that you have in your book. It's a quote from him in an interview that. Uh, he said he would only be afraid if what he was doing was wrong. And he said, if I must die violently, then I prefer to meet death when defending something worthwhile than save my life by refusing to take a stand against injustice. And yeah. Such such a powerful, such a powerful. It's statement. so inspiring. Yes. And I love that too. How did he ultimately die? Um, security police pretending to be traffic police. Uh, stopped a car, uh, his car, on the way back from Gdańsk, where he had been uh, at a mass. Bidgosh, sorry, on the way. Well, there was one from Gdańsk, and there's the second one was from Bidgosh. Uh, his driver stopped uh, against his better judgment, and uh, but Yersha said, "No, let's 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 talk to these people." And then they they beat him and threw him in a trunk. Uh, he tried to escape several times. He was beaten again and again, and finally they tied him up so that his body was going to be weighted down by stones uh, attached to his legs. Threw him in a reservoir. He may have been a he may have been alive then. Like we think he was right before midnight on October nineteenth, nineteen eighty four, and his body disappeared under the. Vistula, the Vistula River. You you might expect that, as beloved as he was among the population, that there might be a massive uprising against the government or something like that. But there was quite a different reaction to his death, and I, I think that speaks to to his message of nonviolence. Could you talk about that a bit? Absolutely, absolutely. There was. <clears throat> There was a strong reaction for sure, but it was nonviolent. They did not rise up. They did not become violent. And I think they were in keeping with what Yerge taught and what he wanted. And hopes for reconciliation were what eventually came to change the system in the country. It took a while, but in 89, the system changed. 
how do you think that kind of message of spiritual resistance as opposed to taking up arms can be applied today? There, there are so many forms of injustice today. Are, are there ways we can apply his approach in today's... You know, I think so. Of course, I'm an activist, and I think that's what we're all called to do. He's got a beautiful set of... Now, I may have to put the phone down in order to find it here, but, you know, speak... Aha. We have to speak the truth when others are silent, express love and respect when others sow hatred, be silent when others speak, pray when others curse, Help when others do not want to help. Forgive when others cannot. Hmm. I mean, that's that's marching orders for all of us, right? Absolutely. And where does his canonization cause stand today? Well, I've asked a couple of people today, and I said, is there any news? And they said, no, we're waiting on a confirmed miracle. Now, I put in the book the story of the miracle of the man in France who had leukemia and was cured right then and there by by prayers to Yerge. Somehow that didn't didn't get picked up by the Vatican. They investigated it, so I'm not sure what to tell you. I thought it was a perfect miracle, but <laughs> they're saying they're, they, they, we have to have another one, so you, let's all work on that. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of people praying. <laughs> Yes. And how can people get your book? Um, like you, they can go to the Shrine of the Natural Conception bookstore and um, Shrine of the Immaculate Conception bookstore in D.C. Or um, go to my website and I will respond and send books out that way. And what is what is your website? Uh, com. Great. Well, our guest today has been Judith Kelly, author of Just Call Me Yeji. Judith, thanks so much again for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Oh, you're so welcome. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbelt.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead... Let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.